Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. Watch and listen to Higher Learning where we dissect the biggest topics in black entertainment, politics, and sports. Twice a week, we react to the most important and timely conversations, often inviting guests to offer unique perspectives. Listen to Higher Learning free only on Spotify. I've been thinking about you because we're heading toward football season and nobody loves a road trip to a college football game more than Bill Burr. Oh yeah. 2020. That's not happening. Have you, have you reconciled emotionally? Is it not happening? I I haven't been watching. You're right. Maybe it will happen. I don't know. I haven't watched anything on the news and, and then uh, just when people who like don't have medical degrees started telling me that the, the, the Centers for Disease Control didn't know what they were talking about. And yet right. somehow they did without any sort of medical background or not even a Petri dish. They started telling me what was what and everybody got in their egos because they couldn't handle the fear and the unknown. So they're like, this is bullshit. This is just take down Donald Trump. This is the fuck over Biden. This is the blah, blah, blah. This is a China thing. And I was just like, all right, shutting off the TV. Smart. Yep. So I shut it off and I've been having a great time. I've been delving into the uh, pre-Super Bowl history of the NFL, having a great time reading a book on Bobby Lane and Lou the Toe Groza. Just loving it. Pre-Super Bowl. So like pre-1960s? Pre-1966 season. Wow. My, My son was writing this whole giant book report for school about the history of football. Broad topic. Was taking yeah. his idea. He's twelve. He's like, I'm doing the whole history of football. I'm right, like, cool. But we did a whole chapter about the AFL, and he was he was just blown away that there were two leagues. I was trying to explain it to him. We tried to explain it to a twelve year old. Like, well, then these other guys thought they should have a league. So then there were just two leagues, and they bid on all the players. So then you know that that was to merge. That was the third AFL. A lot of people right. don't know that there was two other AFLs. There was the All American Football Conference. See, the thing is, what I don't get is why the Patriots and the Steelers with six titles in a 100-year-old league are at the level of the Yankees, the Celtics, and the Canadians. It doesn't make any sense. The, the Yankees, Canadians, whatever, of the NFL is the, is the Green Bay Packers. They won like something like nine or 11. So I always forget. They, they won like a ton of titles. Yeah. And four Super Bowls. So they, they have at least 13 since being in the league in 1920. They should be the benchmark. They won NFL titles. They won Super Bowls, right? But nope. It's like, go fuck yourself. I mean, they sat, they won in uh, 61, 62, and then they three-peated, six, uh, 65, right. 66, 67. They yeah. won titles in the 60s, but because uh, what were the, three of them were just considered NFL titles, it didn't count. I mean, they were just playing guys like Dick Butkus, Gail Sayers, and Jim Brown, Sam Huff. Yeah, those guys, those guys couldn't play. Those those weren't real titles, Bill. I don't. It, and any other time, when when the All American Football Conference joined uh, the NFL, um, you know, they nineteen seventy. No, that was no the uh, the All American. Well, that was nineteen. Oh, you're going back further. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nineteen fifty when they came in, like. They still count in NFL titles before that. It just it just doesn't make sense. I think it was all like a marketing thing. And I yeah. think because there was finally a league, 
that showed that they were just as good, which is, isn't true because the Browns won all four years of the All-American Football Conference with Paul Brown and Otto Graham, right? And then 1950, they kept calling it a Mickey Mouse League. In 1950, they joined the NFL and they won the fucking title and they went to the title every year like LeBron for six straight years, won three, lost three. It's, you should, you, the way you wrote that book on basketball, you would love this shit because they were the ones that showed everybody in the NFL how important the kicking game was. Because they had right. this guy, Lou, Lou Groza, who is like accurate beyond 40 yards and could actually hit a 50-yarder, and the goalpost was right on the goal line. So if you got to the 42-yard line, you were in this guy's wheelhouse. So they yeah. were like, how the fuck are these guys in it every year? And they started crunching numbers, and they found out that they won 15% of their games because of the kicking game. So he, in a way, is the first Adam Vinatieri. And by the way, when they won in 1950, uh, he kicked the winning field goal when Otto Graham with a minute 48 left. And they try to act like before Johnny Unitas, it was three yards in a cloud of dust. It looked like the modern day NFL. He was just throwing, 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 going right down yeah. the fucking field. The difference was the goalposts right on the, uh, on the goal line, which it's kind of amazing. Yeah. They went decades before they realized that maybe the game would be a little more fun if they could run uh, pass routes over the middle inside yeah. the 10 yard well, line. It's just kind of nuts that they did it that way. I would say the CFL took it too far. Well, they've yeah, an true. entire parking lot for an end zone. That's true. It's been really fun. It's my, my son just really got into football this year, and we've been watching, like, the America's game and, you know, some of the old – like, we watched, we were watching this 68 Jets, the, the, the team that became the 69 Jets that won the Super Bowl. But that whole year, they had this crazy win against the Raiders to win the – AFL. It's like, this is stuff like we knew as kids because we had nothing else to do. And you just read about the history of everything. Yeah. But it's been fun to, to redo it. And you're right. Like teams didn't throw as much as they do now, but they, they were capable of throwing down the field. It's not like it was. No, they threw, a, they threw quite a bit, yeah. way more than they thought. And then it's fun to look at the Steelers who just couldn't win anything. And you saw that they had, they had like, in the late fifties, they had a rookie named Johnny Unitas, who they got rid of because they signed yeah. Bobby Lane after he broke his fucking leg. Um, and he made him a winner, but not to the level they, well, they also had, they had Len Dawson. They drafted Len Dawson, got rid of him. Right. They, they just, I mean, thank God they got Chuck Nolan there. They would have traded uh, Terry Bradshaw away too. <laughs> I like that this was one of your quarantine deep dives was pre-1960 football. No, I was already it. into it. I was already into it, but I just had the time to do it. I mean, I, you know, I bought some football cards. I'll buy like complete sets of years. And I, I buy the ones that are just in good condition because you can get them for a right. couple hundred bucks as opposed to tens of thousands of dollars. It's like, I want to look at these things. I want to read them, hold on to them. You know, that's like when someone yeah. buys a classic car and they never drive it. It's like, well, what the fuck did you get it for? Right. There were some dark times with the Patriots from 87 to 94. I mean, crazy I had season shit. tickets in 89. The Rod Rust years. Oh, the one in 15 year. Yeah. What, were they one in 15 that year? I knew it was bad. Oh, yeah. I remember when I finally tried to get my money back. I was like, fuck this. Didn't and happen. I did the sacrilegious thing. I bet against the Patriots. And they showed up and they beat the Jim Kelly Patriots and uh, Bills in 89. The one that went to the next four Super Bowls. Which, by the way, here's another thing, too is when you talk about losing the big game, like they, they are the benchmark with football, the losing four Super Bowls in a row. And they took the monkey off the bat of John Elway, losing three out of four with the Broncos. He also yeah. did it by winning back-to-back, -back, of course. 
And then before that, it was the Vikings who lost like four Super Bowls over like eight years. But here's something that I learned with NFL titles. The New York football giants, they fucking, they lost in 58, 59, 61, 62, and 63. They, they lost five in six years. Oh, my God. And then they, ever, y, they won one, y, though, right? And YA Tittle was the quarterback in 61, 62, 63. And I lived in New York long enough to know that the New York Post and Daily News, if they were around back then, probably had fun with the headline, probably said YA, no title, Tittle, or something right. silly like that. But, um, yeah, you know, it's fascinating. It's funny. I used to know all this stuff, but I, I, I always feel like your brain is like a nightclub. It has a capacity. And then when new stuff enters it, it's just guys got customers have to get thrown out so all of my basically my pre-1980 sports knowledge i feel like has just been thrown out i think when you become a dad you you lose a lot but you know dave debusher wrote a book on memory i was watching that rapaport documentary again that one the uh when the garden was eaten right and uh he was in there and he'd like developed his own language that he used to speak with Bill Bradley and Phil Jackson be looking over, they were speaking their own pig Latin. And he had this book. I was going to buy it because my memory, I feel like, you know, your brain's a muscle. Like uh, I got to get it. He wrote a book. He had an incredible memory. So I also think that, um, that like a lot of people treat their brains the way they treat their midsection. You know what I mean? Where you're not doing this. You should be doing sit-ups every day, keeping your core, doing some squats and get your old ass up and out of a chair and people just don't do it. And you do the same thing with your brain. So I think it's actually a good thing to try and like I can name I can name all all the titles from 1948 in football right through today, J- just through connecting, knowing all the Super Bowls, watching the NFL film, and being a kid, and then watching from Super Bowl 11 on. Although I always get a little cloudy after the Patriots won their third one because I got real busy in my career. So there's that that bookend Steeler thing where it goes like Steelers. Right. Coach, uh, Giants, Steelers, yeah, Saints, Packers, something like that. I always get confused in there. For football, I can go back to probably seventy, but basketball, I can still go all the way back. And it's sad because oh, that, that 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 book you wrote on basketball, yeah, it's, it's like ingrained in my brain. And it's you weird. know who you should have on your podcast who who you would f- Don Gavin, one of the legends in Boston comedy, started the whole friggin' scene at the Ding Ho. He went to oh, wow. all of those Celtic games back in the day. He used to go and watch the Celtics win a championship when it was at the half full garden and he could move down. Like he was, oh, yeah. there. He was there at the beginning of it. And I, I had a podcast with him and I stumbled onto that in the end. And I was like, oh my God, dude, if, if you ever just want to like. Just go d- dork it out. The old school hoops. Old school hoop with a guy who was there during the, the like, remember when Bill Russell was a rookie? I mean, oh, they yeah. were just kids. He was there at the game when Kuzi retired, and that guy yelled, we love you, Kuz. Right. He goes, oh, yeah, yeah I, was, I was at that game. We, you know, I knew all the ushers, and they used to just come down. Um, you know what's crazy? So my dad got season tickets in 1974. He got one ticket for the 73-74 season. He's had them ever since. He is now seven. Oh He's seventh in the pecking order of all-time season ticket holders. There's only six people that are older than him who have Celtics season tickets who are still alive and actually go to the games. I mean, you're talking- not that old. He's 72, but he's seventh in the pecking order now. I know. You know what was amazing? I read this book on Kuzi and uh, Bill Russell. 
was kind of a moron koozie because Bill Russell had no quotes in the book. Yeah. Um, so it was more about Bob Cousy and it was about um, basically the inception of the league and then the racism and what yeah. Cousy wished the, these guys had done. Right. And um, I was surprised with how many people from those Celtics where they won nine in a row and like whatever, 11 and 13 years or whatever. Um, I was surprised how many of them were still alive and how long they all lived. It was, it's incredible. Like it was like, well, you even have this now with the NBA where you have most of the greatest guys basically going back to Russell and Elgin Baylor are all still alive. They like Wilt's dead, but like, I think like Bob Pettit's still alive and like Oscar and Jerry West, obviously, and all the way through like both Casey Jones is dead, but Sam Jones is alive and so on and so on. Um, it's a surprisingly high non-mortality rate compared to like the NFL. Or just compared to, to a, a regular guy that is yeah. of that height. Because when, oh, when yeah. you get this, everybody gets the same size heart. So when people are that tall, just even when you're in shape, how much harder your heart has to work to punch, pump blood to your extremities. Now here I am acting like I have a medical degree, but it's just stuff I read on. That's why you always see like, you always see little old men and little old ladies, you know, driving right. down the street. It's because that 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 heart, you know, just goes like this and it goes all the way to the end of their toes. But those guys, this guy's got to be working like that, I would think. So yeah. I remember but, one time being in Houston and I I I, I was at a, a cheesecake factory when I was on the road and uh, Moses Malone was in there. I got to see him before he passed away. And I was wow. I've always said I would put the 83 76ers up against the 96 Bulls. I think that would be a great matchup because Dr. J could neutralize enough of what Jordan would do. Wouldn't say they would win, but then you got Moses Malone underneath against Bill Cartwright. And Tony. Andrew Tony was unbelievable that year. Boston he was like 25 a game in the in the finals those two years when they made it. Without a three-point line. We're in the low top, low top converse, right? Yeah. Well, they had a three-point line. It was just nobody used it. It was like a third rail on a subway or something. We'd, with somebody, I was, don't ask me why, but I was watching some of the 1980s Celtics Sixers series because Maravich is in it. It's really weird. Like they have Mar- they have like six Hall of Famers on the team, but somebody takes a three and the announcers react like it was like a midcourt shot. Bird pulls up. Well, he's going to get benched. It was like for, well, he cut it from five to two and they, they're acting like it was like a buzzer beater. All he did was like pull up and take a three. Like Clay Thompson will do it 11 times in a, Warriors game, but back in 1980, it was like, oh my God, did you see what Bird did? Yeah. 25 footer and he made it. But it is funny how it evolves. Yeah, they hit like Globetrotter shots. Like six foot 11 guys will pull up and take a three and miss it. And like some of the shit that you see in a game would just be like, you'd get traded. Forget about benched. Oh, yeah. Nobody underneath on a fast break and a seven footer will pull up and <laughs> take a three pointer. It's just like, but I mean, I don't know. What do they call it? A game of attrition now? It's just, it, it's, it's, uh, we're taping this at the end of May. Okay. You're a huge hockey fan. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that hockey players, legendarily the toughest people who care about their own health, the least out of basically any professional athlete ever, aren't already playing right now? I'm amazed they're not just breaking into rinks so they can skate around and try to play. I, I, I can't believe they haven't come back yet. It's I'm actually proud of them that they've they've uh they've they've read the newspapers. Yeah, I'm actually reading a uh I just been reading a book like I always read like three books at a time. I just yeah. listen to I'm, I'm reading another one uh called The Code. 
It's just the whole NHL call. All these years of watching and seeing fights and why did that happen, just breaking the whole thing down. And they have all these enforcers and stuff. It's just fascinating. The soap operas that build up to some of these fights. And then, unfortunately, when somebody really gets hurt, how um, 24-hour sports broadcasting, you know, and plus the, the, the horrible hockey coverage in this country, um, they, they just take the incident and just act like, this guy just skated up and did that. And that right. was it. And it's just like, no, man, this, this goes back years or this goes back weeks or months or five, six games, playoff series last year. It's really a, uh, a fascinating thing on just the whole thing about Because I never understood that the players have to police the game where they just yeah. sort of like, it's like one of those, uh, uh, you watch those things, the toughest jails in the world. And then there's jails, they're so fucked up, like, some of the prisoners have guns and, and for some reason they don't break out, but the guards are sort of working for them. And it's just, just totally gotten nuts. There's sort of an element of that. I always thought, but then when I read the book, it's such a, uh, it's such a crazy controlled violent game that you need this guy, just the presence of that guy going out there. I've seen that guys will skate out there. And this one guy would just get out there and just say right before a favor, better clean this up. Somebody's going to get hurt. Everybody's just like, oh shit, that guy's gonna beat the fuck out of me if I and then and then the game <laughs> settles down. And then other times you have to do something and uh rules about not trying to drop the gloves with a guy at the end of his shift is considered a cowardly mood. And and you can't that shit will come back in yeah, like you later. Right. Like when you whack Billy Bats. Yeah. Years later you think you're getting made. Oh no, boom. Like it's it's really, really, really fascinating. Um, sort well, of. It's funny, like when, there was more fights in the '80s than there was in the '70s. They made like they made it look like the Flyers ruined the league. True. Well, I like when the guys are like like Larry Robinson was like this, and Char has been like this, you know, for a long time. The guys who don't fight really ever, but the reputation is don't fuck with them, and they can still be the policeman without having to really fight that much. Because yeah. Chara has fought. It's just like he no, just he, doesn't want to fight that guy. No, he he'll do it like every so often, but but he doesn't need to. You you pass this point where it's like you actually don't even really need to fight anymore because every you're, everyone's properly scared and threatened. Well, also you don't want to have a Norris Trophy winner sitting in the box for two minutes, and also get an instigator uh, while they have some fucking you know guy just agitator is sitting right. there and all their goal scorers out there. The amount of ice that Zidane Charo eats up is, is ridiculous. I mean, you can't put a price on it. I still can't believe Ottawa traded him. Well, you know, the other thing, these guys are obviously amazing athletes, right? Like there's this clip of Wayne Gretzky. He's in the superstars where you ever see that, where he's racing against Sugar Ray Leonard and like two other great athletes. And he just beats them by 10 yards and a 40 yard dash. Like it just destroys them. But I always felt like, like Bobby Orr. Yeah. It's online. Bobby Orr only has, I, I don't know. He probably had less than 15 fights total. And, and I don't know, five or six of them are on YouTube. Like he was an amazing fighter, which makes sense. Cause he was an amazing athlete. So if he actually fought, he's going to be more coordinated and do some stuff. So I, I always like that part too. Like the better, the, the better the player I was, I was like when that would translate into their fisticuffs. Yeah, but there's also there's the there's the courage thing too. The courage thing can make can have your talent drop off. That takes a lot of like something. I don't know. That takes us to do that. 
and then have a fight in front of 20,000 fucking people on skates and try and stay on skates. And then when he came in the league, it's like, you know, guys would come at you and you tried to see if, if you were tough or not and you had to prove yourself. It was right. like going to prison. But something I'm, yeah. tr- I'm trying to look up is I want to see like the uh, hockey fight from the 40s or 50s. Because back then, if you grabbed another guy's jersey for balance, they immediately came in and broke it up. So they would stand there like 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 boxers. Let me get you, see? And I'm just like, how yeah. the hell did that work? And they would basically trade until they were tired. The refs wouldn't come in, and they would just both skate to the penalty box, and that would be it. Right. Well, they – I always like the 70s fights. If I'm doing a YouTube binge – I like the seventies and early eighties more than the next phase. Cause the next phase guys started to like put actual practice into the fighting. You had guys Ty with Domi real- changed it. Ty, it? Domi, Ty Domi's the guy that I heard gets credit. He was the guy cause he was smaller. Yeah. He was the guy that did the thing. Cause it used to be when I, when I first watched him, guys stood right in front of each other. I grab your, your, your right shoulder. You grab my right shoulder. We did bang, 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 bang. Yeah. Just like that. Right. And he was the guy, the first guy that did this move because he needed to, I think, create distance. So he was the guy that grabbed here. Well, I wonder uh, who created this spin move. Time. I did a benefit one time and he would tell me about it. He's, he can't believe how big that guy's hands are. He grabbed me. I was yeah. like, oh, fuck. And he, he was the guy that did this and then would come back. I mean, actually, he was right-handed, I think. He, so he was the guy that developed that. So now then it became like, then the big guy started doing it. Which is why Ty Domi is one of the greatest and toughest ever. Because then they took what was working for him, right? They turned like that. Then there was a guy, uh, and he's great. Ty Domi fights Rob Ray on the on the uh, on the Buffalo Sabers. Yeah, and guys like Rob Ray, another great, great, great fighter. Um, they he was the reason why now you have to have your jersey tied down. Because he used to have, it was almost like in basketball, tearaway sweatpants. You'd go to fight the guy and you'd, just looking at his jersey, everything would come off, including his pads. And then you had nothing to grab onto. You grabbed right. his best hair and then he just grabbed your jersey and you were fucked. I mean, it was like you were trying to hold on to like a banana peel or something. And uh, I remember there's this great, hilarious clip of Ty Domi fighting him. And the guy's jersey comes off like a fucking stripper. And he's got nothing. And then, you know, Rob Ray beats him. And so Ty Domi's in the box yelling at Rob Ray, like making these these gestures about his jersey falling up. And then Rob Ray just goes like, oh, in three. Like, I've beat you three times, which you know must have, like, driven him up the wall. The guys had, like, there was um, hockey players in general, just fucking hilarious. The ones that I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to meet, they're really, really funny. and. It's the only sport where nobody's out of shape. There's not one fat hockey player. Right. Soccer's the other one like that. Got a little, like Phil Kessel always looked like he was playing pickup hockey, like a pickup hockey, like rink rack kind of guy. It's why yeah. I always loved him because he looked like the guys that when I used to be back when I used to play. Um, well, when you talk about the code, I remember the Islanders beat the Bruins. It was like 1980. And oh, O'Reilly, team. O'Reilly and Gillies fought, I think either every game or every game, but one. And really like, they really seemed like they truly hated each other. And then we lost to them. This is when I really cared about hockey. And mm-hmm. I was so upset we lost But in the handshake line. I was like, O'Reilly's going to punch Gillies in the handshake line. At least we're going to have this. Do that. And then they had like this really emotional, like handshake. There was some, sh- there was a shoulder pat. 
and I, I, my mind was blown. You know, yeah, total like, respect for each other. Yeah, it was like you guys wanted to kill each other for two weeks. What, what just happened? But that was the way it was back then. To Clark Gillies, Clark Gillies underrated. As oh. far as when people bring up tough guys from that era, dude, there's there's a fight. I forget who he fights. I believe it's under Clark Gillies breaks so and so's face. Right. <laughs> He's punching this guy, and the guy just takes a really bad one. So he ducks down. And as he's bringing his hands down, like Gillies just effortlessly takes that in and throws an uppercut. It yeah. was like it's one of those those skyscraper elevators going right up to the penthouse. Boom! Hits this guy, and this guy just went down. Like, yeah, the, the, right. it was one of those ones where it's not an enjoyable fight to watch. It was just like, ooh. Well, we had the Bruins could never beat the Canadians when we were growing up, but then we at least had Stan Jonathan beat the shit out of Pierre Bouchard that time. And there was like blood on the ice and Fred Cusack was all excited. It was like, yeah. it was like our Stanley cup. <laughs> the fact that Stan Jonathan won the Bouchard fight. And you know what? It all turned around in 87 and it's been going in our favor ever since. Oh, I know. We've essentially I know. owned those fucking guys, except for one or two seasons. Um, <laughs> I, I would say though, that like, uh, this is going to come off as sour grapes, but I've been, I've been a pretty good guy up until this point. I mean, look, the Celtics have done what they've done. The Lakers are the most successful franchise in all four sports in my lifetime. They've done what they've done. The Yankees have done what they've done. Um, you know, Patriots, Steelers, Packers, you know, if you talk count NFL titles, have done what they've done. The Canadians. I kind of got to take, you know, dominating a six-team league. I don't know. I, you go back with the Yankees. There was like an eight-team league. That you know, it's this just, is the just, argument against Russell, though. This is you can't make this argument and then defend Bill Russell because everybody says, "Oh, I Russell Bill Russell as an individual." Teams. Listen, I defend Bill Russell as an individual, but I, I don't like every league has those that team that won a bunch during the Three Stooges era. Yeah. And then it's yeah. just like the, the Canadians were winning it they, when they were playing like pond hockey against the fucking Montreal Maroons and, and right. the, the Stanley Cup is the size of a shot glass. Yeah, I, 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 if somebody were to argue that with me, the reason why I don't argue that in the NBA is because the other dominant team is the Lakers and they're counting them all the way back to the BAA, according to your book. So it's kind of a fair fight to me. I guess you know what it is? I guess if, 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 the Toronto Maple Leafs have continued to win, which a lot of people don't know, that they were going cup for cup up until 1967. It was like 15 to 13. And, and then the faucet shut off. Then it just shut off. And then Canadians won in 68-69, won seven. Six or seven? 72, right, 71-73, 76-79, 86-93, and, and that, that was it. That was like the fucking Lance Armstrong when he looked over his shoulder and then just took, they did that move. You're a little older than me. Not, not much, but to, like when I was growing up, the Canadians were the invincible dynasty because we had these little smaller dynasties. Like the Steelers won four when I was growing up and we had the Packers from the sixties and the Celtics from the sixties, but the Canadians, the Canadians thing, dominance ended in 1979, but for the Bruins, right. it continued for almost another decade. And it had already was, been, They've been the bane of our, our existence, like, you know, the entire time. Because they were our number one rivals, and they were the most successful team. Well, they beat, they won every time. But that, then the Islanders showed up in 80, and then it was just like, 
then they ended it and then the Oilers showed up and then they did their whole thing. It's a really weird era to look back and on. And the Canadians ran Patrick Waugh out of town. And Which never went, made sense. He went out. No. If you look if you look at goaltending before Patrick Waugh, it's it's ridiculous. The guys just played stand up and they would try to kick their leg out. He 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 brought that that butterfly thing in. And ever since then, you know, and then the pads got bigger and clutch and grab, and you know, hockey's gone through a lot of shit. It became way the pads are too big. That's the biggest mistake I feel like they've made in hockey is the the goalie pads. I don't know why. I know they have some limitations on it now. The protective gear got so good that you could kill somebody, right? Because like, dude, those pads you wear in hockey with like those that hard plastic, dude, and, and you skate as fast. As an NHL guy, like taking an elbow like that, that fucking uh, Stevens move over the blue line. If you have your head down and he came across, it was like getting hit with a fucking wrench. So um, that's the thing, too, about it. like NFL players where they were talking about like helmets where it, it protects the skull, but not the brain because it's it's in the fluid. So true. I started leading like if you watch like, you know, I've been watching a bunch of old sports. You watch the way they Me fun, too. the way they hit in football back in the day. I mean, they just. They used their head as like a missile. Yeah, they had a Pat Dolphins game from 94. It was Bledsoe Marino. It was week one. And they, there's like 15 cheap shots in the game from receivers going over the middle on the sidelines. Like the head hunting, you just kind of forget now. Well, but it's like, not. It wasn't It wasn't considered a penalty. And before no. that, before the Mel Blount rule, did you ever see what Mel Blount did to Golden Richards in that, that Super Bowl, this, uh, the 75 season? Yeah. He basically just beat the shit out of him. Right. He'd come down the field. He would grab him. He would throw him on the ground. You know, it would be like a, a sweep to the other side. And he would just be fucking like, like wrestling, dropping elbows on him. Well, we had, I mean, we Coates is in that game. Ben Coates was amazing for the Pats. And then all nice. of a sudden it was over. And he takes like eight hits in that game. And this is like week one of the 94 season. He takes, he gets crushed like eight different times. And it was weird. It's just weird. Maybe we'll think this about UFC 25 years from now because we watch UFC like that fight that they had uh, the main event from a couple weeks ago and the guys just beat the shit out of each other for five rounds. Maybe we'll think 20 years from now like, oh my God, I can't believe we let that happen. But that's what it's like about about football shows, games. You can also, they have, you, they have submissions and then they also, you can, somebody can, you know, choke you out or whatever. And the elbows. Those, those leg kicks. My, my thing about the only thing about that sport, because I love that sport, is when a guy's clearly knocked out, the four or five hammer fists that he then takes before that, the, and the refs are lightning quick. Everybody's doing their it. job. Like, that's the one thing where, you, when, especially watching all this NFL stuff, when you see a guy, it's like, it's over. He lost the fight. Did he need to take those last three or four? But, like, um, the great, it's the, almost. It's almost like the ref needs a weapon, like when they try to get a lion away from somebody or a bear. Yeah, something where they, <laughs> he just needs to come in with a weapon and knock the guy out. My son wanted to come on this pod, but I wouldn't let him because he, he's still watching your Netflix show. It's in his... Oh, all right. My son, the, the, the biggest fan of uh, inappropriate animated comedy out of anybody. Like, not inappropriate, but for when you're 12... Yeah, and it's you've made the short list, so congrats on that. He, oh um, yeah, season four, efforts for family that comes out on uh, June twelfth. As does the King of Staten Island. As I'm sitting, yeah, here, that's a big week for you. Nineteen thirties. 
Yeah, that's that's a big uh big date for you. Yeah, he's excited it's back because his he has that, he has Big Mouth, he has uh Duncanville, and then the old South Parks that are moving to HBO Max. So he's he's been fine during the quarantine. Don't worry about uh isn't that unbelievable? Yeah, it's great. Here's the amazing thing about going back to the UFC is the UFC has done in 20, 25 years what the the all of the other four American big four sports leagues have tried to do, which is go global. I feel like they're all jealous of soccer. How that, the yeah. World Cup and all of that. Ooh, can you imagine how much money is in there? Like they're all jealous of that shit. And um, they, in 25 years, lapped all four of the big four and just put them into the stratosphere where, where they are, you know, in the same conversation is like, I mean, what are other global sports? Boxing, maybe you could say? Stuff like Soccer, that. NBA to a lesser degree. Way less. And MMA. Yeah. And then whatever major boxing fight there is, which there's less and less as the years go on that people actually care about. Well, boxing's weird where they were, they were the reverse of the NFL, where they kept squashing out all these other new leagues, where boxing yeah. just became more and more and more. And then they compiled that with like every three pounds was a new like weight class so they could have a right. new champion and have yet another title fight. They kind of like sold their souls to that, I feel. Well, and they had no commissioner or any sort of <laughs> any sort of logic or governance. And it was just the wild, wild west, which I think that's one of the reasons the UFC has you know, been able to thrive like that is there's some cohesion to it. That's the one thing, as, as a fan, what I love is the fact that it's all under one roof, which I've heard fighters can grumble from time to time about pay. But what I, I do think is cool is that when it's all under one roof, that the best guy is going to fight the best guy. Like, you don't have to wait. What else do you care about? When do you think you'll be able to do comedy on a, on a stage again? Uh, you know, that's not up to me to decide. And I've been doing it for 28 years, so I'm confident that I can just go do a couple of uh, – runs at some small theaters out here don't charge anybody any money or whatever and just i'll get it back together i just do you, you know do you miss it i'm gonna come back and crush it when i get back on there i got i have a killer if i can remember the 90 minutes i got but um i needed a break dude <laughs> i really did man i was like you know i was touring i was doing specials i was doing the cartoon we shot the movie last year i got a podcast network producing specials i i kind of needed a little bit of a break i i did i just did not take one but you know um, well, there you go. now that i took one i'm you know i could do like but i i will tell you that there's something i'm also when something makes me sad i also block it out and just say i don't care something i learned from my childhood so i probably do really miss it on some level but like uh i i just i'm sort of i got that german irish thing where it's like, oh, that's painful. Just bury it. So I think uh, consciously I don't miss it. And subconsciously, I'm probably crying someplace. <laughs> I thought that's a New England thing. Because I'm, I'm like that too. I always, like in times of whatever, I always just kind of, I get laser focused on other things because I don't want to think about the bad stuff. Yeah, and I tone everything. Everybody's overreacting. I tone it down. Fucking relax. She'll be fine. I, I, uh, I go Wait, that so way. German Irish, so Tom Hagen's your guy. Who's that? Tom from The Godfather. My, let me tell you something, my Kraut McFriend. 
Oh, oh, from oh, Godfather oh. One. Tom oh, you Hank Hank Hank. I was I was trying to think sports. I was like, does that? <laughs> I was thinking of the German Irish pantheon. Tom Hagen's got to be up there. <laughs> I'll have to watch The Godfather again. It's been a while. Oh my God! I thought that would have been one of your movies. You rattled off Goodfellas before. You rattled off Billy Bats in like two seconds. There, there's a split. Yeah. There's Goodfellas people and there's Godfather people. Like uh, I'm ashamed. Can I be both? Huh? Can I be both? Can I, I know, be but both there's, sides? There's one. You. It's like who do you like better, De Niro or Pacino? Everybody leans. Fair. They're both unfucking believable. Everybody. There's there's something. So you're a De Niro guys. What you're telling me? No, I am a comedy guy. And I will tell you that Goodfellas is one of the greatest dark comedies that was has ever been written. The amount of fucking hilarious lines in that. I agree. As far as mob movies go, I would maybe say Godfather Part Two is the sickest movie I've ever seen. Okay. Um, but as far as like the personality, the character, the character, all of that stuff just there's so many like, and every time I watch it, I see something else that some actor did that was hilarious. Like the last time I watched it, I, I became obsessed with the guy, the club that they end up burning down. Yeah. I'm just, he's just, his performance in that. It's just, it's so, it's so fucking unbelievable. So you're saying Dances with Wolves shouldn't have won the Oscar over Goodfellas? No, that's the game. Because everybody has to wait. There's so many people. Everybody thinks they're getting fucked. Yeah. But the thing is, is they're just self-centered. And if you look at Scorsese, when you realize that all those movies he made, that they didn't finally open up a space for him until the, the, uh, the Departed. Departed. Everybody, everybody wins it like it seems like four movies after they should have won it. Unless... You, you, I think you do like a hot topic sort of, unless you're the guy that's in that hot topic thing, that's, you know, the disease, the group of people, the story, there's, there's so right. much shit that's involved. Wrong. And when it, the whole thing is kind of silly when you think about it. I mean, really? I, I, I honestly, well, I think trophies should be for kids, little league trophy. And I think if you win like a championship, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you I, like, I like if you know if you're a championship boxer, you get a championship belt. That makes sense to me. All right, but like, you, you know, you should these- give this speech at the Emmys if you win for the Netflix show. You just do this exact speech. I know. I should. I I gotta watch it. I don't want to paint myself into a corner because you got to play the game. Because if your show wins an Emmy, then all your writers have written for a, an Emmy award winning show, and then they can make some more money. So you got to you got to be the team player there. Well, the longer this pandemic goes on, the only thing we're going to have is animated shows. This will, this will be it. So you actually, your odds are increasing. Dude, money always wins. What they'll do is they'll fucking have a doctor there. They'll have a fast test. You'll get tested. And if you don't have a fucking, you know, anything, boom, you're on the show. You're shooting that day. Take your temperature and that's it. Um, so this, uh, this Staten Island movie. Mm-hmm. Um, is this the biggest role you've had, like in a in a big movie, like the most lines, most screen time, all that stuff? Because you've been in big movies, but is this the biggest part you've had? It's probably the most lines in something that's going to get this much attention. Yeah, um, I did a movie called Black or White, um, where I had a, I had a really good role, Mike Binder, Kevin Costner. 
Um, Anthony Mackey. And uh, then I had one. Uh, yeah, I guess it would be. Maybe it is. But as far as like something that. I mean, I, I did one, The Front Runner, a great movie that got buried by Aquaman. Um, I like that was Reitman's movie. I like that movie. Oh, it's a great movie. You're it's the you're great the great movie, and the amount of work that he put into those shots. Yeah, and and like how much of a passion project that was, and then Aquaman comes along, which I have to admit, I watched that movie and I fucking liked it, man. It's a cool movie. Aquaman. They yeah, made Aquaman. Right. Aquaman was cool, man. He's fucking drinking. He looked like he rode a Harley and shit. I liked it. Um, I would have liked it if it came out a few weeks after ours did but that's how the games play yeah it's interesting with those movies like the front runner because i had jason on when it came out like the those were the kind of movies we grew up with right in the 70s and 80s these signature movies with great cast by a good director looking back at something that happened and and now it now it's almost like people don't want to go to the movie theater as much to see a movie like that but they end up seeing it I feel like most people ended up seeing the front runner, just not the way in the old days yeah. you went to the theater to see it. You know, like if Silkwood with Meryl Streep came out now, I don't think it's a signature movie. I just think people find it eventually on. Uh, yeah, that's they're, you know, the, uh, they're in a transitional period. And I um, I think this pandemic with stuff like our movie is going straight to streaming. Yeah. Um, I think that that's going to become like, I also, th I'm, what I'm hoping in this, another thing I'm hoping with this pandemic thing is I'm hoping that the zoom meeting becomes a thing. All of these poor bastards having to go to the fucking airport all the time. It's like, why don't you just get on a fucking, what is it about having to sit across? That's that old school business thing. I want you to sit across me, look me in the eye and I can tell you, I bet you after a while you'll be able to tell, you'll be able to judge by these things, whether you trust me enough to fucking, you know, buy into my company or something. But like, I'm just hoping like pitching shows, we can just do that over Zoom as opposed to one of one group of people having to cross under, over, or go on to the 405 at around five o'clock in the afternoon. You just don't need another six fucking cars out there. Well, I think we talked about this on, on this pod in the past. Like it, it's been amazing what we've learned in the last three months about what we need to do and not do. And even stuff like podcasts, it was always so hard to do pods when somebody was in the room with you, if there was more than two people. And now it's like, it's actually kind of easy. You just all get on a zoom record on your end and you can do it. We didn't know that three months ago. You know, I, I don't know. I was always, I always tried to work from home as much as I could even as my life got more complicated because I always felt like I was more productive. I could control things more. I just got more shit done. And right. it's been interesting to watch other people realize that over the past three months. Like I never liked to travel for anything I did because it was like, if I, try, if I go back to New York, that's an entire day flying back. You know, it's nine hours from going to the airport to the time you land, all that stuff. So I lose a whole day. The Wi-Fi might not work on the airplane. Then you go and you got to cram everything. And then you got to fly back. And I basically lost two days. And now I think people are realizing, yeah, let's just hop on Zoom. We'll bang it out. You know, we just joined Spotify three months ago. We've met all these people on, on Zoom and that's it. You need the herd to like whichever way the herd runs. I'm just hoping it doesn't go 
right back to normal. And like, I think with everything that's going on environmentally, it's better if there's not a, if there's less people driving and less people flying. And, but just the weird thing, how money works is yeah. like, they'll say like, it's this fucking disaster that maybe airlines have to have less flights. Like that's more of a disaster than having fresh air or, 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 or whatever. But, um, or maybe I'm just being selfish because I have to travel for a living. And the, my overwhelming thought when I go to an airport is where are these people going? Okay. And I'm not talking about people in business suits and shit. I understand like that, but it'd be in the middle of a fucking school year. And you see like a family of like five and like, aren't they supposed to be in school? Where the fuck are you right. going? This isn't spring break. They don't have a vacation. It's not the holidays. Why the fuck are you here? Right. Another fucking seven people standing in line. Like I said, it's mostly selfish, but like, um, the level well, of the level of, of airline travel that the average person does compared to when like I was a kid, like nobody, like there was like there was like that was like a, a big thing if there was a guy in your neighborhood and he wore a suit and got a company car and occasionally two or three times a year he took a business trip. Like, where is that guy going? What is he doing? He was a he was he was like borderline fucking James Bond. And now well, I feel like Like there's soccer moms with no jobs who have higher status on Delta Airlines than I do. And I'm doing fucking stand-up gigs every weekend. It's just like, where the fuck are you going? Well, it's like in Mad Men when Don Draper would go to LA. It was like a big deal. I'm going to go to LA, get some business done. So you're going to LA? I think it's the whole thing where you watch the Travel Channel you watch like the Food Network and they're showing you all of this shit that you didn't know was out there. And they're really yeah. just all of these commercials to just go to all of these places. And also airline travel became cheaper and shit like that. But like, um, well, I'll tell you, it's completely changed Los Angeles. The air is unbelievable. It, it took like within four weeks, you could actually like feel a difference and see a difference. Oh, you could with, you could, with you the could less see, cars. See it immediately. Like I, I think like uh, the cleanest days of the last twenty years were like those few days after nine eleven when they grounded all the flights. I mean, they're just up there spraying low lead fuel, and right. they we're all driving and we're kicking up dust and, and doing all of that stuff. It's uh, it would be a uh, it would be a really great thing if uh, some positive stuff like that came out. It's a weird thing though, because I'm also rooting for people with small businesses and shit like that. So it's a it's a tough thing. Well, I mean, we're getting deep here. We're going beyond. We're going above my pay grade here. This is the stuff that I try to avoid thinking about because it gets too frustrating. Everybody starts screaming and typing to me in capital letters. Yeah, but we could learn lessons from it. Like we could have weeks that are designated to be like no travel. Let's sit. Let's try to get the earth back for a week, week and things like that. There might be things to learn. What are you the most proud of about this movie? Um. I mean, I just had fun. I think I, I that I finally had like legit had fun. Um, my last few things that I've done in acting, I figured out how to have fun because there was yeah. so much anxiety about um, am I doing this right? Is it going to come together right? And oh my god, I have to do that. I have to do this. Like, there's so much stuff like. Like people always like give credit to comedians like, oh, my God, I can't believe you had the nerve to go do that. But it's like 
okay, but I also totally control how far I'm going to go. If I just yeah. want to go up there and just stand there and just tell jokes, I can do this. But like, you're, you're acting, all of a sudden it's like, all right, you know, your character's going to have a dance contest in this scene. You're like, I don't like to dance. And all of a sudden you just have to fucking do it. You, you got to take your shirt off. Or your, your character has a... a um, um, uh, you have to kiss somebody or something. It just gets you out of your comfort zone. And I think that that's what took me such a long time of this new thing of letting go of that and being like, okay, this, this isn't me. This is this guy. And this is what this yeah. guy does. And, and then all of a sudden, I think I finally went through this porthole of like, oh, this is the fun, the fun of acting. It's the exact opposite of, of, of comedy where it's like, where stand up, um, you know, right act, direct, whatever, whatever they say, this thing here is I have to let go of all of that and just be like, what do you want me to do? And even if this is something that I wouldn't do, I have to figure out how this guy would do this. And, and, and I'm going to get out of you and into this guy was like a real sort of um, new thing. And then also I always heard like great actors just keep reading the script. So I kept doing that and really tried to think about, because I used to just think about the scene. Okay, come in and do the scene. And I, he, you say this and I say that. And then she says this. And this thing I was kind of looking at like, all right, so here's all of my scenes and here's all of the story. Where does my energy need to be so it goes like this? Or I take yeah. you on the ride. Because like, there's stuff I've done in the past where I've, I've watched it. And it's, it's literally just can be off this much and it's glaring to me, but I'll just watch it and be like, like, when I shot that scene, I was not thinking that this shit happened before. So I should have adjusted. I should have been slightly over to the right or slightly over to the left here. And I was here instead. And it fucking drives me nuts. But my problem is, is I have problems reading and I have like massive ADD and shit. So I just had to like, I just kept reading like 20 pages every day. I try to read like, the, you know, if I had time, I just read it. And then I, I would think, okay, what's what's the obvious thing that I would do? What would be the weirdest thing? Now, what's something in between? Just to try to try to do like something different. Hopefully, people feel people probably watch it and think, yeah, he's doing the same old fucking bullshit. But I like to think it's a little different. How much ad libbing was there in the Apatow movie? Uh, a, a bunch, a bunch. You it's must amazing. have loved that. It's it's amazing. Well, that can be a scary thing if you stand there in front of a crew and you got nothing. Um, that's something that, unless you're just born with this confidence, it takes you have to get like seasoned. So at least that's how it worked for me. But like with Judd, there's like the scene that's written. You do that a few times, then you start messing around with it, and then he comes and he goes, "Hey, here's an area I liked where that was going. Play with that." And the amazing thing about him is that he keeps it all up here and is editing it. And like, I mean, I'm just sitting here worried about like just my scenes. He's got the yeah. whole fucking movie. And then the overall vibe that he has to keep between his ears as you're doing all of that. And everybody pretty much had free reign to say and do whatever they wanted at any time, minus killing off characters and changing the storyline. And he just sort of would guide it. It's real. There's, there's a there's a real genius to what that guy does. That um, 
I mean, I, I can't imagine when you go into the edit bay. It's it always, I remember when, when reality TV first came out and it really was reality and they would just yeah. film you for 14 hours and then have 14 hours of footage to try and find where the storyline is. And that's why it moved to assisted reality. Yeah. Like we're not going to have enough hours in, in a fucking year to put this shit together and come out on time. We got to start to see where the fires are and nudge people towards it. So we have something and, to see somebody doing that with a movie, it's, it, I, it's funny. I actually watched the thing recently um, on Gary Marshall where when they were showing behind the scenes of Pretty Women, what, Pretty Woman, which I still haven't seen for whatever fucking reason. Um, he worked like that. And I was talking to Judd. I was going, were you a fan of that guy? Because that's the only guy that I've kind of seen that worked that kind of way and could kind of, you know, anybody from like the craft service guy, that's what Gary Marshall was saying, could come up. And they would slip them a piece of paper with the joke on it. And the thing was, is if the piece of paper went into the pocket, it was in the script. If he dropped it on the ground, it was a no-go. And I love that shit because I heard back in the day, some guy told me backstage one time, Bob Dylan had a thing that when he was backstage, he had a hoodie. If the hoodie was up, don't talk to him. If the hoodie's down, you can talk to him. And it's just such the effort that it would take when you're him the amount of people that want to talk to you that you got to be like, I'm sorry, just get my head together. I'm sorry. Just uh, could you not right now. All he had to do is just, if I have the fucking hoodie up, I'm, ge- I'm getting myself mentally where I need to be to give these people their money's worth. So they keep coming back and seeing me so I can keep living my dream to just be able to do that. That that's brilliant. Paper in the pocket, send the script. I drop it. I don't have to explain it to you and worry about your feelings. It was no good. It's on was the that floor. Gary- that Gary Marshall special, I didn't watch it. Was it good? Should I watch that? Because I saw it was on and I, I just didn't see it. But that now, now I want to see it. I watched it because my wife was watching it. And I think it's fun to see watching Julia Roberts right before she's going to blow up. And just right. be watching her like she has no fucking idea that she's going to become like, you know, this movie's yeah. going to come out and her whole life is going to. That's fun. And then the similarities of the way he was working and then having done that movie with Judd and watching watching each actor talking about like, yeah, I guess we just sort of show up and sort of say what's written and then we kind of go in the other direction. It's, I don't know. I I really enjoyed working with Judd. We haven't even talked about Pete Davidson. That was my my next and last question. What was your takeaway after spending a couple months with him? Well, I already loved the guy anyways before I worked with him, but uh, I got to, I I feel like, you know, he's someone that I've known for a long time, but just because of where his career was and where I was living, where he was living, like the full friendship didn't happen. So that was the best thing is you know, a full friendship developed out of it. He's such a, such a great guy. And he was, uh, you know, it was his movie. He did the Jordan thing. He was like first there, last to leave. You know, and he made sure, like, with coverage, he tried to, you know, judge, shoot him out. You know, I'll stay. He was a real stand-up guy, man. He's, uh, wow. yeah, awesome, awesome. And, he, and he's incredible in this movie. Yeah, he, it's weird. It's, he's one of those, and some celebrities are just like this, where you're always rooting for them from the first time you see them. And I don't know yeah. if it, there's an SNL piece to that, too, because they've had a, a few people like that on the show, where just from the first thing, you're like, oh, I hope that guy makes it. Or hope that lady yeah. makes it. And with him, he's always been one of those guys, and I don't, I can't really explain it. But I think a lot of people feel that way. 
like, oh man, I hope he, it's, especially when he was having some issues. I think a lot of people are like, oh man, I hope. I hope oh this yeah, guy that's, gets- you know, that shit always gets blown out of proportion once you're in. Uh, yeah, once you're. Everybody in, uh, else would just have a bad couple of days, but then all of a sudden, you know, you're you're on a show or something, and it becomes, you know, is so and so blah blah blah, <laughs> and then it never goes anywhere. And it's, right. and it's just over in three fucking days. And they just, that's that chicken little shit that they do. Um, and this it's, is the thing, if you're on a show and, and you actually got to take it as a compliment. They're like, oh my God, I've reached the level that someone's going to make up some bullshit and try right. to get it going for three days. That's that's pretty cool. It's funny watching those entertainment shows now with the, because uh, they're basically taping it from their houses, but doing the same gimmick you just did but they're, they're like at their kitchens behind them coming up so and so and you can see like i mean what are they talking about now <laughs> yeah nobody's getting bridges not taking out his trash yeah i don't know why i went with todd bridges i'm old i was gonna say <laughs> gary coleman but he's dead ben affleck not wearing a mask that's coming up yeah that's it i don't know what else you would do all right well congrats <laughs> on everything june 12th big day for you yes sir uh, a lot of stuff going out. My son says thank you for all the comedy. It was good to see you as always, and uh, and good luck with everything. All right, I'll see you.